0: Well, thank you, worship team and uh, worship choir. Take your uh, Bibles, try to get a copy of the text in front of you digitally or use the Bibles here, page uh, uh, 959, and uh, let's look at God's Word uh, together today. I saw... I saw a video recently of of Warren Buffett speaking, I think it was to his uh, annual shareholders meeting. And before I get to what he said, I just want you to know that Warren Buffett and I have a lot in common. Uh, He lives in Omaha and uh, I lived in Omaha for uh, five years uh, during my college years. And he bought his mattress at Nebraska Furniture Mart and so did we Uh, when we got married and we were living in Omaha. Uh, we got our bedroom set from, from there. I should say that Priscilla bought it because it was her $300 that she had saved up before we got married. I didn't have that kind of money. and <laughs> I was spending it on things like uh, college tuition. But uh, anyhow, uh, this mega-billionaire Warren Buffett pointed out that his life was pretty much like everybody else. Because he said... Uh, He he has enough food to eat and sometimes stops at McDonald's. His house is warm in the winter and it's cool in the summer. And the the 10-year-old car that he had just traded in was working really just fine. And and so his life was much like ours, including the fact that he had bought his mattress at Nebraska Furniture Mart. One difference would be is that he bought Nebraska Furniture Mart for $60 million back in the (laughs) 80s. uh, what really matters to him? Here's a quote from what he said. He said, If you get to my age and nobody thinks well of you, I don't care what your bank account is, your life is a disaster. Doesn't matter how much money you have, it's if people think well of you. I think he was referring to the fact he had, he had people who loved him. Well, in our passage today, um, there's a, we transcend even that sentiment. Because what matters is what God thinks of you, and the reality is that the God of the universe loves you. And so we're going to look at verses 13 and 14, first of all, of this uh, second chapter, Second Thessalonians, where we see our eternally secure position as believers in Christ. And that then becomes the source of our personal encouragement. So many people live in constant discouragement, Christians included, and, and I don't mean to oversimplify clinical depression or even the winter blahs, but what really matters in terms of encouragement is to be focused on, what does God say about me? Verse 13 and 14, but we ought, we ought always to thank God for you, that's Thessalonian Christians, first century, thank God for you, brothers. "...loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ." This is what we sometimes call positional truth. This is about our status. This is what God says about us and how he thinks about us. Uh, First bullet point is, I am loved. But before he even gets to that, he says, I thank God for you. See, he's been addressing so far some pretty heavy issues. I know you're going through trials. Uh, You're persecuted. I get that. And he says, I want you to know that God's going to make everything right in the end. And so the previous passage... 12 verses we looked at last week, he even talked about that end times where in the great tribulation, this man of sin, is the Antichrist is going to be revealed, but Christ is going to judge him, and and, and God's going to settle all accounts. But he turns from from the justice of God eventually to now addressing his friends in Thessalonica. I thank God for you. There is some deep and personal uh, relational connection between them. I thank, who who all do you say that to? I thank God for you. Um, It's the kind of thing I would write in a card to Priscilla or to my children. I thank God for you. So they knew while they were suffering that they had a friend, Paul, he was writing from Corinth, like 400 miles south of there. But he was, they knew that Paul was thinking about them and thanking God for them. And, and this is one of the privileges of Christian fellowship when you, you, you get to know someone well enough in, as believers in Christ that they can look you in the eye and say, I thank God for you. The reason we have this kind of a bond is because though we are loved by the Lord. I thank God for you, brothers, who are loved by the Lord you are loved by the lord the lord in the new testament pretty much universally refers to jesus christ specifically in fact god the father is mentioned in the next phrase so you are loved by jesus the children's song could never be more true jesus loves me this i know for the bible tells me so interestingly he has just come uh from a section of his letter where he has talked about Jesus as judge verse 8 the lawless the lawless one will be revealed whom the lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming that's Jesus the judge and now we have this Jesus loves you and loves me as believers in Christ every human being will experience Jesus Christ either as just judge or loving Savior. The same Jesus Christ will be having a response to every human being on earth. It's no contradiction. If a child has a a loving father, but the child is bullied by someone, the bully will experience dad in a very different way then the child experiences dead. And you are loved by Jesus, the Savior, personally, by thought, by name. He knows, every th- he knows exactly where you are in time right now, what you are going through, and, and in spite of everything, He knows you and loves you unconditionally. Are you resting in the secure love of Christ? If you are a believer in Christ, you can, you must. He knows every sin, every failure, every regret, Many times as Christians, we still spend so much effort feeling judged by others, often judging others, ourselves, often judging ourselves and feeling unlovable. How do we get past that kind of chronic um, crisis of self-worth, insecurity, the only real way is, as a believer in Christ, to know that you are connected personally to the heart of Jesus Christ, and that matters. Focus on God's love for you. Because if you, if you, if you begin to just focus on um, whether imperfect Christians around you love you well, you will be disappointed over and over. Unconditional love flows downhill, uh, only God can do it perfectly and so his love flows down to us through the cross, he loves, accepts shows grace unconditionally and then to the degree we absorb that we can begin to give that to somebody else but we cannot expect our emotional cup to be filled by imperfect Christians but yet somehow in Christian fellowship and Christian marriage unconditional love begins to flow and that's, that's encouraging so first of all in this benefit package of salvation, you are loved by the Lord. Because from the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Hmm. God chose you to be saved. What does that mean? It means God chose you to be saved. And I know that introduces sometimes a doctrinally sticky issue because theologians or any one of us could debate, did God choose us, Do we choose Him? And the answer is yes. And that's not being cute, It's, it's true. The Scripture teaches we choose Him, we must choose to believe in Christ, but yet He chose us, and He was here first. So he chose us before we chose him. It says, from the beginning, from the beginning, he, he started it. Ephesians, he chose us in him, that's Christ, before the creation of the world. So before he said, let there be, he knew that you would be. He chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. He he knew we were his. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Instead of debating it, just appreciate it somehow. He chose us. Who saved us, Paul told Timothy, according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. From all eternity. But then I love how, as, as Paul was uh, in his ministry, he, 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 Luke wrote it actually, he stated it this way, as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. There is no contradiction. They chose to believe and in fact then believe, whoever believes has eternal life, that becomes like the, 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 the constant refrain of the New Testament unless a person chooses to believe in Christ, they do not have eternal life. If they choose to believe, they have eternal life. And, and so as, that has to be our, our focus. And, and so sometimes people, do, is it election? Is it free will? And, and, and you simply say, this is what the scripture says. Why would we expect to fully understand it? Why, can, why would we think that we could fully understand a plan of God to save us and change our eternal destiny? I don't understand the... Uh, the nature of jesus i don't understand how one human being can be both human and god at the same time fully god fully man if, if you can fully comprehend could you fully understand the triune nature of god there are things that are beyond our understanding as finite and and so we just embrace this both are true and then even his description at the end of verse 13 of then how we are saved shows that there are obviously two sides to this 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 truth he chose you to be saved. How? Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Only God can save, but it happens as we believe in the truth. The sanctifying work of the Spirit is that divine side of it. The, sanctifying, the word sanctify, as maybe many of you know, is a word that means to be made holy. And usually, the word sanctification, we expect it to be a description of our, our life as a believer, somewhere between our, our faith in, initial faith in Christ and when we die. There's this process of sanctification, the ongoing work of the Spirit to transform us. And that is so true. But this is talking about the initial cleansing of the Spirit. When you put your faith in Christ, He whoosh, cleanses you. How did you think you became a new creation? Second... Corinthians 5 17. If anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. That doesn't mean you've automatically fixed your life. It means that the Spirit automatically fixed your record and cleansed you of all sin. So uh, we we can't do that. I can't can't go to my my scorecard and scratch out, or or ticket and scratch out one destination of hell and then put heaven. That's God that does that. The Holy Spirit is crucial to our salvation in fact in this passage in titus uh, look for all three members of the triune god and their role in our salvation but when the kindness and love of god the savior here here the father is called the savior because it's his plan of salvation when when the love of god our savior appeared he saved us not because of righteous things we had done great verse but because of his mercy he saved us how? Through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. But where's the cross? Well, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. Kind of like, you know it's all the cross, right? So Jesus accomplished the purchase of our salvation as we just remembered and celebrated with communion. So on the cross, he, he paid the price, Because in God's plan, this was the saving plan, and Jesus came, but when you put your faith in Christ, it's the Holy Spirit who says, whoosh, and you are a new creation. That happens through belief in the truth, Paul says here at the end of verse 13. God chose us indeed, but there is a personal, volitional Response required of each human being, and and frankly, that's why the emphasis in, in scripture is we must believe, go tell pe- you, We must tell people the gospel. They must respond and believe, because we function on a human plane of choices, we choose t- to share the gospel. They must choose to respond the to gospel. My, I must place my faith in Christ. My friends must place their faith in Christ. No one in the world comes to eternal life unless they place their faith in Christ. But isn't it so reassuring to realize that behind the curtain of God's infinite sovereignty He first chose me. Just embrace it. So this wonderful doctrinal nugget is tucked into a very practical letter of encouragement. And, and Paul is saying this by way of, I wanna encourage you guys. And so, so I'm gonna tell you, this is true of you. You, you, you are loved, you are chosen, you, you, you are so special to God. You are sanctified by the Spirit, and now verse 14, He called you to salvation for a reason, to just plain bless you eternally. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul calls it our gospel, not that he has dibs on it. He doesn't own the gospel, but he it is so much just a, a part of his fabric to share the gospel. This is our message. And Acts 17 tells how he came to Thessalonica and he told them about Jesus and they believed. Our gospel, let's review the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, the first seven verses. The gospel is really simple. The gospel that saves is Jesus died for our sins and rose again. He died for our sins and rose again. How can you go to heaven? Have you placed your faith in Jesus that he died for your sins and rose again? Nothing more. Nothing else. Just his death and resurrection. And so he called you to this through our gospel, you know, and, and you believed it. End of verse 13. And 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 so you you are a transformed person. These are positional. Truth, which means they have to do with our status. It's like birth. Um, when you are newborn, you have permanent status as a child. You will never more. You will never be more of a child of your parents than when you are born. You will never be less than when you are born that day in the nursery or hospital or, or wherever. And that's why being born again is such a great term that Jesus used the picture of birth so we all understand human birth he says that's what happens to you spiritually you have been born again you've been born from above there's this new birth you are a new person because now you are a child of god whoever believed on his name john 1 12, is a child is called a child of god or john 3 3 when jesus says you must be born again how by belief in the truth and the ultimate re, uh, result of this present position is, verse 14, a guaranteed future that you may share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. He keeps holding that in front of us because this is not all there is. But you are going to share in the glory. It is guaranteed already. Your permanent status here guarantees your eternal glory there. You can't, we aren't living in much glory right now. We get glimpses of it, but he says you are already an inheritor of glory because you're in the family and so the inheritance of the glory that you will experience in the presence of Christ is already certain. And so this this, this whole amazing list of of benefits is here in stark contrast to what he has just said is the outcome of an unbeliever. Last, Last lines of verse 10 from last week. They perish that's eternal judgment in hell. They perish because they refused to love the truth and so to be saved. They refused it. The, 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 it. It's on them that they have chosen to resist this amazing truth that you can only have faith, you can only have eternal life by faith in Christ alone. There, there's something so fundamental about the, the arrogance of resisting the gift of eternal life and the humility. Of bowing before the cross and saying I can do nothing Christ did at all and that is the fundamental difference of how people will experience Christ as judge or Savior when you look at this list of benefits it's all of grace which he will point out later on in verse 16 by his grace we deserve none of it yet we securely have all of it just because we're in the family Someone just told me this week how they've gotten a new job, and at their new job, the company actually has on staff a nurse practitioner, so that employees can just get a lot of basic medical uh, needs taken care of for free. Why? Because they work for the company, and it's part of the benefit package. And all this is our benefit package. So, if if you're if you're in a rough season of life or you just had a bad day <laughs> and we all do R- Reread verses 13 and 14 very slowly because this is you loved chosen sanctified called to glory always true completely secure so having established our security of position Paul now says, and you have a responsibility. Here's some instructions spiritually, verse 15. So then, brothers, since 13 and 14 are true, here it is. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold or hold fast to the teachings, you may have the word traditions, we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. You have a responsibility, stand firm, is basically determine, decide your spiritual direction, which way are you going? Stand firm, going the right direction, first of all, and then secondly, hold fast to the word. So you are secure in Christ. Does does the fact that you are secure in Christ make you spiritually stable? Actually, no. Those are different things. You are secure, your your position is secure, but your stability will depend upon your spiritual direction. Where are you headed? So so a, a rebellious child can be completely secure in their position in the family, but they can sure make life miserable in their instability. Some Christians don't stand firm even though they are secure. Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 called that the carnal Christian, the fleshly-minded Christian, the Christian who just lives by the flesh like an unbeliever when, in fact, they have this whole benefit package and the work of the Spirit is available to them, but they resist it and just go do their own thing. Don't be that. Stand firm. Will you stand firm? Don't, will you, or will you use grace as an excuse to sin? Paul was so adamant that's a, that's, a, that's a problem, he wrote to the church in Rome. What shall we say then after having explained grace? Well, he says, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Oh, I'm saved. Anyhow, I can just go do anything I want to. He says, may it, by, no, by no means, may it never be. If, if he had bigger font and capital letters, I'm sure he would have used them. That would be the, the worst response to grace. We are those who have died to sin? How can we live in it any longer? In other words, we don't have to sin. It goes on in verse six, I think, that to say, you know, if you've died to sin, why would you why would you just continue to wallow in it? It'd be it, it's so contradictory to your position. You can do that if you want to. And many, you know, like a rebellious child who has everything provided for them, and sometimes they just go off and do it doesn't change their position, but it sure does make them miserable. So our first decision is to trust in Christ to be saved, which establishes our secure position within their, the rest of our life as believers is a continuous series of decisions. Will I, will I change? Will I, will I grow? Will I depend on the Spirit? Will I pursue uh, love and joy and peace and patience and self-control and kindness? Will, will I be that person? Because I've got to make up my mind to stand firm, to go the right direction. When you accidentally maybe take a wrong turn, didn't follow the GPS or, or you did and it was wrong, whatever it was, you're, you're on the wrong road, you took the wrong uh, exit or whatever it is, there, there will be a moment of truth where you go, oops, I got to change. Um, I, I once heard a, a speaker at a marriage conference describe a situation like this where they had, I guess, had gotten off the freeway to get gas, and then somehow he got confused. And, and, and as, he's, as he's getting on the entrance ramp, his wife says, that's the wrong, you're going the wrong way. He said, no, I'm not. And he just kind of, his wife goes, okay and uh he keeps going and then comes the moment of truth he realizes this is wrong he says he said uh he said i drove for a while trying to figure out how could i get turned around with ever without my wife knowing it (laughs) and uh so there's that moment it's humbling isn't it, to say no that's wrong and that's part of the christian life to know oh this priority as a believer in Christ, that's wrong. It's, I'm not investing in my family spiritually because I got so much time you know, in the hobby or in the work or whatever, or, or I don't have self-control in this area. I'm, 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 uh, I'm angry all the time, I'm addicted to this, or whatever, it, it's humbling, it's necessary. So stand firm and, and, and determine I'm gonna go this direction, I'm not gonna waste the grace of God in my life. And then how would you do that? stand firm. Here's the second part of his command. Stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you. So we're not without resource because we have the Word of God. And Paul, as he's writing some of the first Pieces of the New Testament ever to be uh, published and passed on. He says, We taught you this. Now, the word tradition, if you have the word traditions, this term only means something passed on from authority. In this case, this is not tradition versus the Word of God. The tradition here is the Word of God. So, we taught you. We passed these things on. As an apostle, I came, and with God's authority, I taught you when I was in Thessalonica. I sent you one letter called the First Thessalonians Now. I've sent you now this letter. And so the real question is, are you, are you doing the things that I told you from God's authority when I was there? Are you doing the things in the first letter? Are you doing the things in what I'm... Are you going to do what, I've, what I'm asking you to do now? So if you are indeed facing the direction of the will of God for your life, then you will be following, clinging to God's word. Hold or hold fast to it. Is this the doctrinal parts of God's word or the practical parts of God's word? It's all God's word. Doctrine and daily life. But is there there an attitude that we have of submission to the word of God so that any decision we make, any character trait in our life, is, is exposed to the Word of God. That's called walk in the light, when John said it. And so you say, oh, okay, is, is this priority right? I, I'm, I'm going to schedule this thing. I feel like I need to do this thing. Why do I need to do this thing? Am I trying to please people? Is this something God wants me to do? Why am I spending uh, this money? Is it, is it, is it, is it, what's my motive for this, God? What, what, what are your principles that would come to bear on my financial things? Is, God, are you blessing me or am I just blessing myself or, or my marriage? You know, As I think about my relationship with my husband or my wife and things that God has said about an attitude or an action or a response, do we hold fast to God's word or do we just check the box that says, I believe it? Because the test will be in the standing firm and holding to and following through. And so, so. if you do, there will be an incredible return on that investment. And the return on that investment is encouragement and strength. Because Paul turns then in verses 16 and 17 to his second prayer. He, we, we looked at his prayer earlier. In each of the three chapters, there's a significant prayer that he has for the Thessalonians. Christian friends. And, and so he, he tells us his prayer that, you know, if you're holding fast to the word of God, I can confidently pray that God would strengthen and encourage you. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. May he encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Some of you have the word comfort instead of encouragement. Same kind of thing. Uh, Probably I lean towards the encouragement aspect of that. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God the Father loved us, gave us grace. Do you realize what Paul is doing there in verse uh, 16? He's just reviewing our position from verses 13 and 14. He basically repeats, you know, you know the God who, who loves us, who chose us, who saved us. It's all by his grace because he gave us what? This eternal encouragement. Eter- I'm sorry, eternal encouragement. Referring, I think, to the glory of, of, of heaven, verse 14. And, and we're going to be with Christ so he has given you eternal encouragement and hope. Encouragement and hope are, are a pair. Encouragement is now. Hope is about the future. And because of our position in Christ, we're loved by Christ, we're saved by Christ, we're we're chosen by Christ, we have eternal encouragement already. We are the the spiritual mega-billionaire, and it's all by grace. All by grace. By His grace, He gave us eternal encouragement and hope. Paul cannot stop talking about God's love and grace. I hope you never tire of hearing about God's love and grace because we will need exactly that assurance over and over in our discouragement and there are plenty of discouraging things. If we we just went up and down the rows and say, what are you discouraged about? We'd be here a while, wouldn't we? There's a lot legitimately discouraging in life. Difficult. Relationships. Financial struggles. Your health might not be getting better. You're not getting younger and your dreams aren't all met. Thank you, Sid, for depressing us. You're welcome. (laughs) These are these are all natural feelings. What we need is eternal encouragement and hope. And it only happens as we focus. And refocus on the things that matter. And what's matter is he loves us, he chose us, he saves us. He's, by his grace, he's given us eternal encouragement. And when he has given us eternal encouragement, he can pray constantly for verse 17. May he encourage your hearts. You see, eternal encouragement will give us internal encouragement. Your hearts. Key to emotional health is to keep reviewing the eternal benefits package. As we focus on eternal things, our our mind, our, our, our values begin to change. And if we don't, even as a believer, we will probably choose to either drown out those feelings with something we do or ingest or look at or whatever, we we can drown try to drown out feelings of discouragement uh, with some harmful habit, or we can maybe try to uh, compensate for it to try to find uh, some ultimate fun and keep pursuing pleasure and fun. But sometimes, or eventually, sometime our, our our money will run out to do that, or our health will diminish, or or our, our it'll be ruined by disappointed by friends or family, disappointed, whatever. If we but if we want eternal encouragement, we got to go to eternal things. Paul wrote in different words to the church in Colossae. Since then you have been raised with Christ. You have this whole eternal benefits package. Since, you have, since that is all true of you, you still must what? Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So are you going to be thinking about those things? Set your minds on things above not on earthly things why because you're not who you used to be you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God you have a new you're a new creation the old of you has passed the new has come you died your life is now hidden with Christ in God and when Christ who is your life appears then you will also appear with him in glory so he he cast that vision of we're going to be there let's start thinking like people who belong there set your minds on things above we choose where we put our minds. No one makes you think anything. Our minds take certain patterns if we let them keep going down the same uh, muddy ruts, but um, we choose what we think. And so we have to even think, back it up a little bit and say, so where am I getting my thoughts? Are Are there people who are 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 like, they're just feeding me these things that are not things above. We all have relationships, we go to the internet, we read books, we have entertainment, and the problem is not that we have, you know, friends, entertainment, internet, and books. The problem is what kind of input are we allowing ourselves from all these sources? Set your mind on things above, go to go to good stuff online, uh, make sure you pursue relationships that will point you to to Christ people who who are focused themselves on what really matters um, more proverbs and less less garbage right so where 's our focus? If even the billionaires know that money doesn 't make us happy, we know that we cannot let our mind just dwell on the on the things on earth. And so the final part of his prayer is that if we have an encouraged heart, he says, I pray that God would strengthen you in every good deed and word. Strengthen you in basically everything you do and say. And in fact, it's actually good works, good work and word. He's not talking about the word of God here. He's talking about the words that we say. And the works are the works that we do. So if God's en- encouraging our hearts spiritually by these eternal truths, it'll show up in how what we do and what we save, say. And the, the concept is we will be others-centered. We'll be doing that which God ordained that we should do to serve others. We will say things that will be beneficial. We will do and say the right things externally when we are internally encouraged. The, the point of this passage was not how to be happy, but it turns out happiness is pretty much a fringe benefit of being focused on eternal things, which makes us other-centered people. And we are strangely happier when we are focused on eternal things and how to say and do that which benefits others. You can always tell the difference when a Christian is focused on the things that really matter. Maybe as a as an application, somewhere in the next week or so, maybe you want to take up this challenge. Think about two or three Christians in your life, believers in Christ, whom you admire. You admire them for probably being other centered. That's that's what made you th- their mind their 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 name or face come to mind. You, you probably know them to be more hopeful than others. You probably know them not for their complaining, but uh, they are, there's a gratitude. So as you think about these maybe two or three people, they may not be extroverts by the way they may, not be, they may not be obvious sometimes they're they're funny and witty and whatever and extroverts because but 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 these these people that you admire have these traits of other-centered hope and 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 gratitude instead of complaining i i wish i could say you get to know them really well but you know you you can't everybody can't be friends with the same people right so you just study them think about and if you have the opportunity to ask them, what really matters to you? What really matters to you? I'll bet that you will hear things that we have found in this passage. Something of, hey, I just know that God has saved me. I know that he loves me. I know that I'm secure. I know it's all by his grace. I, th- I think that's what you're going to find. In that, and that is who we want to be. And that was Paul's prayer for us, and hopefully that's how we pray for each other. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word and how that you um, put in it everything we need for life and godliness. You have told us all the truth uh, we can understand and so much more that we find hard to grasp or understand, but you've told us everything that we need. And so as we think, Lord, help us not to just rush to the scripture for how to and 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 uh, instructions of, of application, but to to bask in the reality of, of what who you are, what you have done for us, that we would find great uh, security in in your love unconditionally for us only by grace, and uh, then Lord, we can be a uh, source uh, of, of that unconditional love, and grace to others, and we can just see uh, these tiny glimpses of glory here on earth that result when we live more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.